You're listening to a message from Third Church in Richmond, Virginia, where we believe we are called together for the renewal of all things through Jesus Christ. To learn more about Third or how you can get involved with our community, please check out our website, thirdrva.org. That's T-H-I-R-D-R-V-A dot org. Thanks for listening. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Third Church's Audio Appendix. The Audio Appendix podcast is our chance to go deep on a particular issue or topic, and today we're talking about Holy Week. My name is Becca. I'm the communications director here at Third, and I'm so glad to be a part of this conversation today. I am joined by our lead pastor, Corey Widmer. Hello, church family. Hey, Corey. Thanks for being here. And Dan Murata from Redeemer Anglican Church. Dan, Thanks for being here. Um, Can you tell our listeners a little bit about yourself and your church? Sure thing. Thanks, Becca. Uh, Yeah, glad to be here. Uh, My name is Dan. I'm uh, the rector, which is an old word, old dusty word for lead pastor um, over at Redeemer Anglican Church. We're a relatively new church here in the city of Richmond, uh, about four years old, and we're located on the corner of Grove and Arthur Ashe Boulevard. And... Um, I'm married to my high school sweetheart, Rachel. Together we've got four kids. We live in the north side. And we didn't grow up in Richmond, but we are glad to live here in the city. And it's been a soft landing for our family. Mm. Sweet. Welcome to Richmond. Mm. Um, Okay, well, we are going to be talking about Holy Week today. And Dan, I know that your Anglican tradition is a bit different than our Presbyterian tradition. So could you just tell us a little bit about just about the history of the Anglican Church and how you guys worship and maybe highlight some of the differences or similarities between what we do at Third being Presbyterians? And Corey, just feel free to chime in as well. Sure thing. Yeah, so <laughs> Anglican church history in, uh, in, in, in 30 seconds. 30 seconds, please. Um, sure thing, yeah. So, you know, one— And be sure to mention all the scandals. <laughs> yes, 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 Henry VIII and, and everything else. Um, no, I, I think may, maybe a good thing for everyone to know is that the Presbyterian tradition and the Anglican tradition both are tracing their roots back to the Protestant Reformation. Um, and the main difference— probably is just geographic, that the Presbyterian tradition came more out of the continent and the the Anglican tradition came more out of the English Reformation in the UK. Um, uh, One of the things to know about the Anglican communion is that it sort of sees itself as uh, almost a Reformed Catholic, so um, not trying to completely uh, innovate itself away from the Roman Catholic tradition. Um, You know, if you go back far enough in church history, everybody's Catholic. Uh, but rather uh, re- return to uh, the best, healthiest uh, practices and theology of the of the historic church. So you might think of the Anglican tradition as something of a back to basics movement. Um, and uh, you know, today what that looks like is ninety million Christians around the globe. Um, you know, most Anglicans are uh, black, not white. Uh, most Anglicans live in Africa. And um, as a white guy here in the city of Richmond, I'm I'm grateful for that. I'm glad to be a part of a global network that where I'm actually a minority um, and not and not in the majority. Um, and yeah, you know, at this time of year, uh, we're in uh, something called the season of Lent, you know, which is a part of the church calendar. And in the Anglican tradition, that's something that we uh, observe and take pretty seriously. And as we're approaching Palm Sunday and Holy Week and and everything that goes along with that. Um, there's a lot of 
I think, really culturally timely practices that this ancient tradition gives us to engage. Yeah, so let's start there. We are, like you said, approaching Holy Week, the week that begins with Palm Sunday and ends with Easter Sunday. And it is also the conclusion of Lent, which we have been um, observing and participating in for the past few weeks. And I think the point of this podcast today is just to take a minute, um, maybe actually even take a deep breath, and think intentionally about how to approach this most sacred of weeks. Um And I think we can't really talk about approaching it this year without also talking about how Christians historically have approached um, Holy Week. It's easy to think that, you know, we are the pioneers. We're the first ones doing this. No, we're not. Um, Christians have been observing these rhythms, uh, you know, since Jesus was on the earth with us. So um, this is our chance to to say what can we learn um, from the past and what can we actually bring with us into this season that is starting so soon, this, this holy week. Um, so let's start here. Let's start with the liturgical calendar. I think there's plenty of people who um, are a part of our congregation or people that are listening to this podcast who perhaps actually don't go to either of our congregations, um, do not worship with us weekly, who are curious about what these words mean, these big words, liturgical calendar. Um, So let's start there. What is the Christian year? Where does it come from? Um, And how do we kind of see it play out month over month? Yeah. Uh, Corey, I've I've kind of talked a little bit already. You want to start us off and then maybe I'll kind of color in the lines after you go? Well, actually, I, I... I don't know a ton about its ori- its origination. I know it was around the third or fourth century. Maybe you could. Do you mm-hmm. know any details about that? You can fill that in, and then I can talk about sure. how the rhythms work. Yeah, yeah, maybe just a little bit. So, yeah, you're you're right. You know, third or fourth century. Uh, the the origin of the church calendar traces its back its roots back to uh, that time in history where Christianity was finally made legal in the mm-hmm. Roman Empire, and therefore was able to be practiced publicly and openly. Um, and so, as you can just imagine, the early church shifting out of, you know, crisis mode where there's abundant persecution and everyone is, um, you know, practice, practicing their faith in a, in, you know, sort of a covert manner uh, out of, you know, fear of being put to death. <laughs> um, and, you know, the, the church becomes a more public entity in society. Um, the desire was to have the keeping of time in the church oriented around the life of Jesus. And so you might think of the church calendar as a really simple way to answer the question, how do we become more like Christ? Um, The reality is that uh, something will order your time uh, for you. And that is not a new thing. Uh, you know, and today we have Hallmark who tells us what time it is. Mm-hmm. Um, you can but always for... <laughs> know as soon as you walk into any Walmart what, That's what right. time it is, yes. what season yes. it is. CVS <laughs> and Walgreens will tell you what time yes. it is. Um, but, you know, in the, in the ancient, you know, Roman Empire, you'd have a whole different kind of societal calendar, mostly orienting around, you know, certain feasts and um, celebrations, you know, around the summer solstice or the winter solstice or the you know, the, the, the pagan gods. And so Christians, early Christians, in an attempt to uh, conform their lives around the image of Christ and not around the, the, 
the pagan gods of the Roman Empire, developed a means of keeping time that focused on the life of Christ, uh, starting with, you know, anticipating the birth of Jesus in the season of Advent, um, celebrating his incarnation in Christmas, um, the revealing, the revelation of the identity of Jesus as the Messiah in the season of Epiphany, um, anticipating and and um, uh, remembering both the fasting of Jesus in his 40 days in the wilderness and also uh, his uh, his journey towards the cross um, on Good Friday, which is, you know, of course, part of Holy Week. And then Easter, um, celebrating the resurrection, uh, which then culminates in Pentecost and, and Christ's ascension. Um, and then uh, the season that we call ordinary time, which is kind of the other half of the year, um, which I love, just a, a really simple remembrance that most of life is actually just very mundane. And that's where we remember the day in and day out faithfulness of of following Christ. So maybe that's an overview, but mm. um, what what else would you say, Corey? I love what you said about how the early Christians sought to, in, in some ways, an act of resistance, mm. um, resisting the way that the majority culture around them was ordering time for them. And instead saying, we're going we're gonna to order our time differently. And so it is an act of discipleship, I think. Um, you know, as Christians, we often say that we want to live um, differently than the society around us, that we're called to be set apart, we're called to be holy, we're called to um, demonstrate the difference that the gospel makes in our lives. Mm-hmm. And of course, we know that um, we can do that through sex, through power, through money. Um, but we can also do that in the way that we order order our rhythms together as, mm. as Christians and as a church family. Um, so I think that actually we were joking, but it is kind of a great example. Like, you know, Advent is a great example because um, the the season, the culture around us is screaming at us to activate our consumer mentality <laughs> big time. Mm-hmm. Like you walk, mm-hmm. you know, as soon as it turns, the calendar flips from Thanksgiving it is Christmas, and you're hearing all. Let's the... be honest. We wish it waited till after Thanksgiving. That's yeah, true. No, it yeah. That's true. That's true. It's, 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 it's more like September now. Yeah. yeah it's, uh, um, but it's like just screaming Christmas and mm. driving you to buy and driving mm. you to you know celebrate. And then as Christians, we're like, okay, we're in Advent, which is a season. They sometimes it's called a mini Lent. It's like a season mm. of reflection and contemplation and anticipation, getting in touch with the brokenness and the longing of the world for the coming Messiah. And you're like, this feels really out of step. And sometimes like, even in church, sometimes we're like singing Advent songs, like, O Come, O Come, Emmanuel. And people are like, why can't we sing more (laughs) joyful? Like, why can't we sing, uh, you know, something happy? (laughs) Well, we're trying to practice that we're living out of step with the culture around us. And, and, you know, even the spring, like, you know, Easter, Mm. um, you know, you go, you know, right now, if you go into any local CVS, you know, you see bunnies and little, you know, plastic mm-hmm. fluorescent grass mm-hmm. to fill up your kid's <laughs> basket, which I have no problem with. I buy chocolate eggs. Like, <laughs> Absolutely. I'm happy yeah. to do that. Um, but right now we're we're celebrating the most penitential season of the whole year, the season of Lent. And then, and then once Easter Sunday comes and the calendar turns for the whole world around us and they start thinking about the next holiday – we're going deep into Easter for 50 mm-hmm. days. I mean, mm-hmm. we're like the resurrection is the biggest deal of the universe and we need 50 whole days to celebrate its implications for all things. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I mean, Jamie Smith says that Christians are 
people whose year does not simply map onto the calendar of the dominant culture. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we are practicing time differently so that we can form our lives around Jesus mm. rather than anything else. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I just, I love, I love the idea that we have an alternative to what everything in culture around us is telling us we need to buy into. And um, we can say not, no, <laughs> we can say mm. no or not yet. And um, especially I found in like, I don't know if you guys have had really somber or dark Christmas seasons where mm-hmm. you're like, oh, I'm just so grateful that I have Advent. I don't have to force myself into some like shallow or saccharine um, joy that's not there, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. this longing where things actually aren't well and um, and the Christian calendar has given me the opportunity to go into those mm-hmm. places instead of just find myself mm-hmm. in what's on my target shelves and um, act like mm. I'm okay with that. Mm. So, Dan, how do you think that practicing the liturgical year makes us more Christ-like? Mm. You know, Corey, I don't know if this will make any sense, but I think, I think the church calendar is very emotionally intelligent. Um, meaning if you engage the church calendar in kind of all of its fullness, you know, not just picking the parts you like, but, you know, really going with the whole thing. Um, it, it leads you into seasons where you're telling the truth, uh, but, but, but different, different aspects of truth or different angles on, on the truth in different ways. So, you know, in the season of Advent, um, it's this already not yet season. You're, you're remembering the, the first Advent of, of Christ in his birth, and, and you're anticipating his second Advent and his second coming. And when you situate yourself between those two advents, you feel this already not yetness, which has so much explanatory power for why life feels the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, but then there's relief. It doesn't last forever. Then there's relief, and there's Christmas and joy to the world. Christ is born, and we have twelve days of Christmas. And you get twelve. It's not just one day. It's twelve days. That's right. Uh, the the party goes on. Um, and you know, you think about a season like Lent. Um, which is not, you know, it's not the season of Eeyore. It's not, you know, gloom and doom and, and all that, but but it is a very self-conscious season where we lean into all of the reasons why Christ's death was necessary. Um, and so, you know, I'm I'm kind of like an extroverted optimist. I don't like Lent very much, It it, but it makes me look at uh, parts of my life and parts of our mm-hmm. world that I would just as soon be distracted from. Like I would just kind of rather, you know, pour a beer and watch Netflix and not worry about, you know, all of the all of the terrible things happening in our world and and what those implications might be for me. But but Lent corrects me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Lent says, nope, don't close your eyes. You have to look at this. That's good. And I um, and I uh, have a more melancholic temperament, so it's probably really good that I have to rejoice for. You have days. Easter. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a great yeah. point that it it helps us be more human. Mm. It helps us get in touch with the fullness of what it means to be human. I also think it it can be catechetical in the sense of helping us remember aspects of the gospel that we might naturally, maybe because of our temperament neglect, mm. so or because of our background. I mean, so some people maybe focus more on Jesus and the Holy Spirit. Well, guess what? Mm-hmm. You have a whole season where you need to focus on the giving of the Holy Spirit, or or you might tend to focus more on the 
the death of Jesus, the death of Jesus. Mm-hmm. Whereas, well, look, you've got a whole season about the resurrection of Jesus, which, especially in the evangelical community, mm-hmm. ironically, has often been neglected. Our, our, our theology of the resurrection has not been very robust. And so mm-hmm. I think you're really right that it fills out both our minds and our souls that makes us more whole. Mm-hmm. I love that. Well, let's let's actually look to Holy Week. So what take us through the days of this week. Um, which begins on Palm Sunday, and then there's a few, few things between there and <laughs> and and the next Sunday, Resurrection Sunday. Who wants to take that one? Go ahead, Dan. So Palm Sunday is where we are, in a sense, not only remembering but almost reenacting um, Jesus's procession into the city of Jerusalem, and it's it's a powerful moment. It, it's such a significant moment that. You know, the church has found it valuable to remember and, in a sense, reenact this moment every year. And so Christ enters the city. He's being hailed uh, by some people as the as the coming Messiah. Um, but the kind of Messiah they, they might have had in mind at the time was more of a political Messiah or a military Messiah, you know, here to finally, um, you know, finally fix things, finally kick the Romans out and, um, you know, make make Jerusalem all, all that people wanted it to be. Um and, you know, Jesus doesn't, doesn't enter that way. And it's, it's a very subversive moment because Christ is coming, you know, not on a war horse, but on a donkey. He's, uh, he's entering um, not to take over, but to give of himself, um, to, in a sense, be taken over. Um, and Christ does come to conquer, but he comes to conquer through sacrificing himself. And it's just a move that nobody was anticipating at that moment. Um, and so you move from Palm Sunday into uh, what is called Monday Thursday. When I was a kid, I thought it was called Monday Thursday. It was very confusing for me. Very confusing. Um, very similar. No, that's right. But those words are different. <laughs> yeah, Monday Thursday, which is where Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and then um, which and is then, where Monday comes from, right? Men, men, mandatum. Correct. The mandate. Latin, ma- right? The mandate that Jesus gave them at the Last Supper to love. That's right. Them. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah, thanks for thanks for bringing that up. Um, and uh, so Jesus washes disciples' feet, and then and then he institutes the Lord's Supper, um, as he celebrates the Passover meal with his disciples. And Monday Thursday leads into Good Friday, which is where uh, Jesus is crucified. Um, and there are a lot of practices around Monday Thursday and Good Friday. We can maybe get into that uh, later if if we if we have time. Um, and then there's there's Holy Saturday, which is a very quiet day. It's just a, a day of stillness. Some people fast on Holy Saturday. It's just a, you don't really do a lot. You don't start the party yet. Um, all is all is still. And then, you know, the resurrection on Easter Sunday, which then kicks off, as you said earlier, Corey, a 50-day season of parties and celebration, um, which, is, which is a lot of fun. And one of my favorite things about the way Holy Week ends is the parties are so much bigger than the than the all of the hard preparation. So Lent's forty days, but Easter is fifty days. Mm. And Although it's interesting, we don't yeah. really do it that way, do we? No. Um, at least at third, we don't. We, no, we don't. We talk about how Easter is fifty days, but we don't. Yeah. I don't, I, I don't see. I don't see many Christians take their celebrations as seriously as they took the <laughs> penitence. You know. Yes. <laughs> Isn't that funny? Maybe we what should a, do that. What a Let's funny. What yeah. a funny reprimand from the Lord that yeah. would be if He came and accused us of. 
not celebrating not being joyful enough. nearly enough. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Mm. I love that. So what are what are some practices that happen within these days? Um, Dan, you can share from your Anglican perspective. Like what does Palm Sunday look like for you guys? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I'd be so curious to hear, you know, how how you guys engage this at third. Uh, and, and to be clear, there isn't one right way. There are many traditions, um, ways that the church has has embodied these over the years. So here's, you know, here's just kind of one one take at it. Uh, at, at Redeemer, uh, we we attempt to do what is uh, maybe a more traditional Anglican way, which is the Palm Sunday service starts outside. And we pass out palm, palm branches to adults and children. And the service begins outside with sort of a call and response liturgy, and then reading a portion uh, from the Gospels that describes Jesus's procession into Jerusalem. And then with shouts of Hosanna, we process into the church sanctuary, singing together. Okay. Yeah. Well, we what we do is we rent a donkey. <laughs> nice. And... <laughs> I ride it into the sanctuary. <laughs> and you ride it. Oh, yeah. I'm just kidding. Um, no, I actually love that tradition. Um, we we do start, we don't do that. We do start, Presbyterians, our tradition has been to start with palm branches, usually mm-hmm. some kind of procession. Um, often it'll be like the choir or um, if a church does do a procession, but always have palm branches. Um, and then what's interesting is, you know, especially in recent years, I've noticed that um, many people actually, unfortunately, have stopped attending midweek services during Holy Week. Like, mm-hmm. um, there's, it's, still, many people come to Monday, Thursday, and Good Friday services, but there's a lot of people who who don't. Um, and so, I I do think it's becoming increasingly important to celebrate, to take the turn in the Palm Sunday service. Mm-hmm. In other words, mm-hmm. to not mm-hmm. just leave it as the Hosanna, you know, mm-hmm. blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. Because if you do, then you'll just jump straight from Hosanna to Hallelujah the next Sunday. That's right. But um, I think the shadow of Palm Sunday has to always be there. And so, especially in recent years, we've sought to really begin the service and lots of celebration, mm-hmm. but then especially during the time of confession um, and um, assurance of pardon, to really connect the fact that you know that's the same people who were shouting Hosanna, or, the, or many of the same people were then just a few days later shouting for Jesus' crucifixion. So That's right. Um, so that, that's that an important turn, yeah. I think, to make. I just, um, I've been reading Fleming Rutledge's The Undoing of Death, and oh, wow. which is just her sermons, her Holy Week sermons, mm-hmm. and she's from the Episcopal tradition, mm-hmm. I believe, and that's what they do every Palm Sunday. They They do the joyful procession with the palms, and then they make the congregation read and respond um, audibly to the the passion story. And yeah. so everyone comes in feeling so high. And then by the end, they're like, oh, man, look at what we've done. Mm. And I had never heard of that before yeah. um, to actually do that every single year. And I just thought that was that was really neat because it's super cute when the kids come in with the palms. Um, mm-hmm. But that's not that's not the end of the story. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah, I've often. Uh, described Holy Week as there's sort of like two peaks, two mountains, but then with a big valley mm-hmm. in between. And, you know, our, our tendency, or maybe my tendency, uh, is is just to want to jump from peak to peak. Mm-hmm. Like just here's a good, you know, high note on Palm Sunday and then a high note on Easter and, you know, let's just hang glide over the valley if we can. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But so how have you yeah. all celebrated in the valley? I mean, what what happens during Holy Week and on Monday, Thursday, Good Friday in the Anglican tradition? Yeah. So yeah, I was just talking with our staff about how we're going to do that because it's you know we're still kind of in COVID restrictions, and so we got to get a little creative this year. But the Monday Thursday service begins uh, with foot washing and ends in Holy Communion. And at the end of celebrating communion, there's what's called uh, the stripping of the table. And that's where all of the elements on the table are very quickly and unceremoniously taken off. Wow. Um, and then with with the Good Friday service being a service with no communion. And, you know, not all traditions are the same, but in our tradition, almost every worship service in an Anglican tradition has Holy mm-hmm. Communion as a part of it. And so to have a service on Good Friday without communion feels significant. Um, and part of the imagery of a Good Friday service is an empty table mm-hmm. with nothing on it. Mm-hmm. Um, so so foot washing and, and Holy Communion on Monday, Thursday, then the table is stripped and it's bare on uh, Well, and the colors too. I mean, I don't know what, what um, sanctuary colors you all use, but, mm. but you know, the, we've had purple up all through Holy... Through, through Lent, which is uh, the color of, of royalty, but also of mourning. Mm-hmm. And then, um, but then that, uh, once you strip, you strip the co- you strip the colors, you strip everything. And That's so right. it's bare. And actually the Anglican church I worshiped in in college would actually, you would come in on Good Friday and everything, and everything was just, there was like a black cloak over, That's right. over wow. Jesus, the, over a crucifix and over mm-hmm. other, um, icons and it was just it was very very um mournful yeah mournful is the right word what we do on good friday is we have a wooden cross that we put in the middle of the sanctuary and it's not a very long service only about 45 minutes but every person is invited to do what we call reverencing the cross which is to come forward and to either touch or kneel uh, in front of the cross and uh, we ask people to wear black or dark gray to the service, and the service then ends in silence, and everybody goes and either walks home or, you know, if they live close by or gets in their cars and drive home, but we specifically ask people not to talk to each other on the way out. And so, yeah, m- mournful is the right word. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a real low moment. Um, but over the years, people have told me that in, in, a, in a strange way, they actually look forward to the Good Friday service because it feels like one of the only places where the pain and desperation of life is kind of openly embodied in church. Um, And, you know, especially with the kind of year that we've all just had, Mm -hmm. I think that probably is (laughs) an essential place Mm -hmm. for us. Yeah. Yeah. So where are we now? (laughs) Um, it's, It's hard to have this conversation and not talk about what we've been through over the past year. Um, and in our Ash Wednesday service, um, Elizabeth Hayes preached on, you know, what does, what does Lent have to show me in a year that's already felt very full of Lent, full of sadness, full of grief? You know, we've uh, given up a lot, have been through um, actual trauma, um, and have experienced so much loss. Um, things have just, you know, been hard. They've been really hard. Um, so in this unique season, both in Lent coming to Holy Week, 
in 2021 after the past year that we've had. And, you know, this week that we're recording this podcast is the week that we went into our homes last year. Um, mm. So it's been one year. Uh, talk about telling time differently. It's been one year of pandemic life. Um, and so as we come to Holy Week, what does this time have to offer us based on um, what we've just been through, what we've lived through? Um, what what gifts perhaps of even darkness does Holy Week have for us in 2021? Well, there has been a lot of obvious loss this year, um, everything from losing serious loss, people losing loved ones, um, literal death. And then there's just been loss of connection with people. There's been loss of graduations, weddings. I've done, you know, now many tiny little weddings, tiny little funerals. Mm -hmm. um, just the other day, my fifth grader was crying a little bit that she wouldn't get to ever be at her school again uh, and have mm -hmm. graduation there. These are losses. And mm -hmm. and I so I do think it's interesting um, to celebrate Lent and then Holy Week in a season like this. But I do think it's it reminds us of what the object of our hope is. Um, Lent isn't just, like you said earlier, Dan, Lent isn't just about feeling bad. Uh, it's about reorienting our hearts' longings to Christ and seeing that Jesus is the ultimate hope for our souls and for the world. And and the whole point of fasting is not just to beat yourself up and make you feel bad. That fasting is, you know, we are orienting our hungers um, towards the only one who can satisfy our deep, the deep hungers of our souls. And so I think in, in many ways this Lenten Holy Week is more beautiful than ever because we're orienting ourselves to the ultimate hope of our world and the hope of our lives. We're remembering that, you know, our hope is not just getting through the pandemic and, you know, hugging my grandma again, as wonderful as those things are. Our ultimate hope is um, the, the one who gives the water of life to our souls and the one who will redeem all things. So um, I am very, very excited about celebrating Holy Week this year. What about, what about you, Dan? What, how do you think that after this challenging year, what is the invitation of Lent and Holy Week this year? Yeah, I'm right there with you, Corey. I think I think that's right. I think I think one of the interesting things about this past year is that for some people, it probably really has been almost a year of Lent, you know, in 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 the grief and all of the restrictions and all of the things we can't do and. And I think for anybody who has, you know, responded to the challenges of this past year with prayer and lament and, you know, um, you know, engaging all of the <laughs> hardship with God, then it really has almost been a year of Lent for, for some people. Uh, Do you know anyone who has done it that way? I don't, I don't <laughs> I mean, well, well, there's a but coming. There's a, there's a comma. Oh, and maybe a, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Which is that, uh, you know, I think for, for so many people, um, the way a lot of us have responded to the challenges this past year has actually not been with grief or lament or honest processing with God, but rather been with distraction and numbing mm -hmm. and self-medicating. And so um, I think for a lot of people, you know, as we're 
more separated from our church families than ever before. And we're, uh, you know, if the, if the numbers of, you know, social media and online streaming platforms have anything to tell us, you know, we're watching more television and movies than ever before. Um, if, uh, you know, we won't get into politics, but if, if the recent political unrest is anything to tell us, then people are more anxious than ever before. Um, I think people are angry, more angry than before. Um, if we, I, I don't have a Facebook account anymore, uh, but when I did, it seemed like a very angry place. Um, it still is. Still I is. Can, yeah. I can okay. Good, that. Yeah. Good to know. Still, still <laughs> angry. Um, you know, I think uh, liquor sales are through the roof. People mm-hmm. are are drinking more than ever before. Food delivery services are are up. Um, people, when people weren't getting stimulus checks from the government, people were very angry about that. And so, when you sort of look at that whole picture, it seems like yes, an unbelievably hard year, maybe the hardest year for for many of us in our lives. But how have we responded to that? I think so many of us have been tempted to respond with self-medication and numbing and distraction and a let's just get through this without being unhappy. Mm-hmm. Um, and just sort of make it through, get to the other side. Yeah, let me grasp at any straw that might make me just feel a little bit of temporary pleasure, right? Um, and so if that's where some of us are, then I think the invitation of Lent and Holy Week is a whole different invitation because what it's what it's saying to us is, hey, why don't you try laying aside some of the distraction and some of the numbing agents and actually tell the truth about how bad this is? And in telling the truth about how bad it is, find yourself asking the question, well, if that's how bad things are, then where can I possibly get hope? And once you're asking that question, it's like the pump is primed for you to then hear the good news of Easter and the resurrection. And so my hope for, for Holy Week this year is that it will be a week of telling the truth to ourselves <laughs> uh, and to God about where we actually are, um, feeling the hopelessness uh, and feeling the insufficiency of all the different potential you know, temporary remedies we look to, and therefore the glory of Christ's resurrection shining through as the singular hope that we uh, that we have. Um, so that's that's my that's that's why I'm looking forward to Holy Week this year. Yeah, that's really good. I mean, I just think, um, at least for me, facing the pain and the loss of this past year is really scary. Like, mm-hmm. I don't necessarily want to do that. Um, I had a baby in the beginning days Did of the really? pandemic. Yes. Congratulations. Thank you. Um, would not recommend having a baby at the beginning <laughs> of a pandemic. Um, and it's interesting hearing you just talk about that. Like, I don't, I don't want to go back to those days, mm. that pain, that isolation, um, the fear, uh, th- just seeing everything as a threat to us and feeling like we were on this island with this new life in our house and not knowing how to feed him. And he cried, you know, it was all of those things. And I think what I'm hearing in this conversation is like a Holy Week is the place to bring that pain, you know, like to bring that, um, we're creating space for that. Um, and it's safe to face your pain in this, in this time, in that grief. Um, so, this is my exhortation to everybody listening. Like, what is it 
that you're carrying um, that you can bring into Holy Week um, and find that, I don't know, that community of suffering, Mm -hmm. both with our Savior and with your um, brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's a really, I don't know, I think that's welcome after this past year. Well, and that's where where the place where you find that where hope is found. Mm-hmm. As Dan said, when you mm-hmm. can really tell the truth about the world and about your own life and about your own sin and your own suffering, um, hope becomes clarified. Hope becomes very real. Hope becomes very powerful. And so this is mm-hmm. why the resurrection is just um, the most, as we said earlier, the most important event in the universe. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Because it's our hope, but it won't be hopeful unless we really get in touch with yes, what <laughs> our need for it. Because you can't go from <laughs> peak to peak, as yeah. we just talked about. Yeah. Uh, we actually have to go into the valley. Yeah. Um, answers are only interesting if there's a question. Mm-hmm. Mm. Answers without questions are not very compelling. That's good. And light is not light without darkness. That's right. Yeah. So let's talk about the actual specific embodied opportunities we have. Um, to engage in Holy Week in both of our congregations. The first thing I want to talk about, and you know, one of the reasons we have you both here today is um, that together we're promoting this Stations of the Cross installation on Arthur Ashe Boulevard um, that's being put on by, I'm guessing, a member of Redeemer. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, Dan, could you just tell us a little bit about the stations, um, kind of where they originated from and how we can interact with them? And maybe even tell us a little bit about that tradition, too, which oh, is a pretty yeah. ancient one. Sure. Yeah. Uh, the the practice of um, of using a tool like Stations of the Cross um, during the season of Lent and especially during Holy Week, uh, you know, is, is as old as the church calendar when um, Christians would, in Jerusalem, um, go to some of the sites where um, these events took place, the Garden of Gethsemane, and then... Um, you know, the road on which Jesus would have walked uh, to Golgotha. And Christians would almost make a, a spiritual pilgrimage in these places and stop and pray and, and remember um, what Christ did for them. Uh, as the church spread around the world, uh, it was obviously not possible for Christians in all different kinds of places to actually make a physical pilgrimage to Jerusalem. And so the what began to happen was uh, artists, sculptors, or painters, or people who made stained glass windows, um, would would construct kind of art, artistic representations of those different points in the city of Jerusalem, and you would find prayer gardens or you know works of art in church sanctuaries, and the invitation for congregation members would be to to instead of making a very expensive and long pilgrimage to Jerusalem, instead engage that same practice in their local parish. So. What is happening on Arthur Ashe Boulevard starting, I believe it begins Monday Mm -hmm. of Holy Week? That's right, Monday of Holy Week, March 29th. Uh, Yeah, it's it's, we're really excited about this. We have an artist in our congregation, his name is Brendan Rigdon, and a local Richmond artist, very talented. And a year ago, I, it's it's funny, if I had known how seriously he was going to take this, I probably would have asked him with a little more gravity uh, and seriousness, but we sort of had an offhanded conversation where I mentioned to him this, you know, this very ancient practice of Stations of the Cross and just sort of floated the idea of maybe he might want to 
consider painting, you know, a few of these. And, and he was really intrigued. And so I sent him the, the scripture verses and kind of some of the traditional, you know, what those stations actually are. And he said he thought it was a neat idea. And then we didn't talk about it for like nine months. Mm-hmm. And I honestly just kind of forgot. I sort of thought, okay, you know, that was a nice conversation, but, you know, maybe he wasn't interested. And then he came back to me and said, hey, I've been working on this. I've got like nine of them done so far. <laughs> um, my goodness. <laughs> so at that point I thought, oh my goodness, okay, this is real. I, I didn't even realize he was really into this. And so, um, you know, I looked at some of the stuff he had done and I was blown away by how beautiful they were. And then we started putting together a plan to to share this more broadly because he had put so I mean hundreds and hundreds of hours into creating these beautiful uh, you know twenty four inch by twenty four inch original pieces and we thought gosh we just want to share this with as many people as we can so the idea of stations on Boulevard um, you know having fourteen easels with these fourteen original pieces lined up along Arthur Ashe so that um, people in a very public way could come and you know, meditate on each piece, using these as a stimulus for prayer and reflection on the sacrifice of Jesus, uh, but also as a public witness. Mm-hmm. Um, our our location there is right across the street from the VMFA, the Virginia Museum of Fine Arts, and the uh, the Fan District and Museum District are kind of a very, you know, our arts and culture hotspot, you know, here in our city. And so if you want to present a public Christian witness in that part of town, doing so through the arts uh, seemed to us like you know, perhaps a way forward. So we're excited to do that. And and we're grateful that Third Church wanted to reach out and maybe team up and kind of do this together. So yeah, so yeah, it will excited. be available. Let me get this straight. Monday through Saturday, Friday, Monday through Friday mm-hmm. of Holy Week from like 8 a.m. 8 a.m. to 7 p.m. To 7 p.m. That's right. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Really um, grateful that we can participate in this with you guys. We, you know, we're sad that normally on Good Friday, we have our own creative version of the Stations of the Cross um, called the Journey to the Cross, where a group of mm-hmm. artists in our church put together a pathway through the church building, meditating mm-hmm. on the different stations along the way. Um, and we're not able to do that this year because of COVID restrictions and mm-hmm. it wouldn't be very safe in our building. So we're really grateful that we can do this with you all and participate in it. Yeah, I yeah. can't wait to see it. It's always more fun to do stuff together, and mm-hmm. you know what a what a great chance to be um, brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, here mm-hmm. uh, participating in the kingdom of God. That's great. Yeah. Um, and so, Dan, just you know, to let other folks know, what else do you guys have going on um, at Redeemer for Holy Week? Do you have mm-hmm. other services happening still, even in COVID? <laughs> yeah. Or yeah, they all look a little different, but yeah. yeah, we're we're giving it we're giving it a shot. So yeah, we'll have we'll have Palm Sunday morning services in person and um on Monday Thursday we'll have you know a number of evening services cool. where we're keeping the attendance cap pretty low at each one but then doing a lot of services so that people can come wash each other's feet receive communion and you know I just had a meeting with some of my staff earlier today talking through how to do foot washing in a covid safe yeah. you know way and wow. so we've got like you know disposable towels and sanitizing mm. stations and all these things and you know it'll it'll be less intimate and a little more cumbersome than than maybe normal. I think what we'd all like is you know a hand carved wooden bowl and you know a mm-hmm. you know a nice you know I don't know cotton <laughs> towel or something. So it'll be it'll be a little different maybe than normal but still still a chance to do something with your body mm-hmm. serving somebody else and and 
And I think even harder allowing someone else to serve you. You know, if you've ever done a foot washing service before, the hard part is not washing someone else's feet. The hard part is letting somebody wash yours. Um, and in that case, we're sort of, we're all Peter on Monday, Thursday, because Peter didn't want Christ to wash his feet either. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Good Friday, we'll sort of do the same thing. Lots of small attendance capped uh, services so people can come and pray and, and you know, kneel at the foot of the cross. Um, yeah, that's what we're doing. What, I'd love to hear what you guys are doing. We're doing um, our Monday Thursday service, which is typically actually the, our largest Holy Week service. That wow. tends to be the one that we have put the biggest focus on, just because it tends to be on Thursday evening is a time when people can um, are, are most available to attend. So we're doing it a f- fully online service mm-hmm. that is that our team has been working on for actually weeks now that is a Tenenbrae service. So yeah. Tenenbrae is a service is a pretty um, uh, ancient kind of service that is often practiced during Holy Week, sometimes on Monday, Thursday, sometimes on Good Friday, which is a service of darkness. Tenenbrae means darkness. Um, and it starts with, it, it, is, it, tells, it has seven lessons using seven candles. Mm-hmm. And so we're inviting people to participate with us in their homes with seven candles mm-hmm. Um, with households and other people that they may be with. Um, and as we go throughout the service, we extinguish a candle mm-hmm. for each time. And so we thought that might be a neat way that we can sort of practice something embodied together. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Friday, we'll not have a service this year. We'll just have the sanctuary open for mm-hmm. um, times of meditation and prayer, mm-hmm. and people can sign up for that. Mm-hmm. And then our Easter services. Yeah, I think it's you know important to remember, I don't know what was happening at Redeemer last year, but for third, we didn't have any embodied Easter and Holy Week experiences. Yeah. And, you know, we were in the grips of such fear and uncertainty about the virus and not knowing, you know, at that point we didn't, I don't think we knew really how it spread. And um, so there was this like, we can't actually be together. And while a lot of that still remains, there still is fear of the virus. Clearly, we mm-hmm. are still living in a pandemic. We do know more today about how to safely engage in person. And I think I'm I'm hoping I'm speaking for you both with me that I want to encourage people to come out to the stations, come out to a Holy Week mm-hmm. service, um, come out to sit in our sanctuary, come to an Easter service we are offering them this year, um, engage with, you know, body, mind, and soul in in this time because it's a really unique offering for us, especially after last year when we didn't we didn't get to do this together. Mm. Um, yeah. So I will just plug um, my little call to action here for more information about any of these events. Um, at Third, our website is thirdrva.org. That is T H I R D R V A dot org. We have our full um, Holy Week calendar uh, linked from our homepage. And then Redeemer, um, I'm guessing all your info is up at RedeemerRVA.org. Is that correct? That is correct. Great. And I know that there's registration involved with any of these services and offerings, except for the stations. You can just show up to that. That's right. Everybody um, show up. So please register, and uh, we hope to see you during Holy Week. Well, thank you, Corey. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, this- Dan, so much for... I'm yeah, to have this conversation with us. What a pleasure to be with you guys. And I want to make sure I say before we sign off that um, how much I uh, enjoy, appreciate, and admire Third Church. 
um, you know, we're a, a new, young, small, you know, church plant <laughs> in a rental building, <laughs> uh, you know, in the city. And um, you guys have been faithful here for a really long time. Um, and that and that means a lot. And, you know, I think in, in any city, there need to be, uh, there needs to be large churches who have, you know, uh, abundant resources and have long histories and, and, you know, also maybe like small little upstart church plants. And, um, you know, I just, I, I, I constantly learn from you guys. Um, y'all are, y'all are kind of out in front paving the way and, um, we get to kind of follow in your wake and learn from you guys. So Corey, thanks for your leadership. Thank you, Dan. And, I learned a lot from you today. Thanks. Um, Thank you, guys. Lots of mutual admiration. Mm. All righty. Thanks for listening.